we have survived. We have survived indeed. The last 16 weeks from Satan. <laughs> we are here on the last uh, day of recording for 2019. The last for our change. Our last podcast until January. Until 2020. 2020. Yeah. There is no particular theme for this episode. We're just going to shoot the breeze and see where it takes us. But first, um, I wanted to skip the current events for the day, but due to... Do you, do you want to introduce yourself? Nah, nah, nah. They, they should know me by voice by now. <laughs> if <laughs> they right. don't, then we got issues. All anyway, right. so, I am Aaron. I'm Chris. And this is the last episode of the Men Creating Chase podcast for 2019. Yes. Um, our current event topic is probably the buzz of the town the country, the world. Yes. And that's um, the Saji Star Wars. Oh. No, not Star Wars? Okay. Oh, no, I was, no, I was going with impeachment, but you know what? Yeah, Star Wars. No, no, I, I think, I, I don't think we can, we can not talk about impeachment just a little bit at least. Yeah, you know, Star Wars, apparently Star Wars is finally coming in to an end Friday. Yeah, yeah. Well, today's Friday, but today. I actually, I saw it yesterday. Ooh. Yeah, I saw it. There was a Thursday screen. Access, huh? Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm, mm, must be nice to be fancy. Well, I mean... Fancy as in I bought a I bought a movie <laughs> ticket. Yeah, they had like a hundred thousand showings. The thing is expensive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Disney's trying to make money. They're showing this Shoot. thing like a million times. Um. <clears throat> wait, do we want to do impeachment or Star Wars? Uh, we were already talking about Star Wars. Okay. Fuck it. Let's do Star Wars first. So, uh, uh, you haven't seen it. Nope. Spoiler okay. alert. Still hand throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not gonna spoil. I'm gonna try not to spoil anything. I I will say I I liked it. Okay. It was super fun. I yeah. know that there's some mixed reviews right now online, mm-hmm. um, and I can understand where some of the criticism is coming from, um, particularly some of the real like uh, next level criticism around J.J. Abrams versus Ryan Johnson. So, so the last movie versus this movie, and like where they diverged and stuff, um, which is like you know I think that criticism is fine. You know, you want to get into some like critique around like, you know. What's important, what's valued, how you tell a story, yada, 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 that's fine. Um, the last Jedi, though, the last film, really pulled out some ugliness in the fandom. Um, folks uh, really went to the mat on some stuff. And I think um, we can see kind of evidence of it in this last movie. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, it's a really an unfortunate symptom of kind of fan entitlement. Um, and we see it, um, as it pertains to this podcast, uh, unfortunately when, um, uh, when women in particular are elevated, um, and men feel threatened by the elevation of women. Um, we saw it in Ghostbusters, the reboot, we saw it in Last Jedi, we saw it in, um, you know, a lot of other, uh, uh, pop culture, like, films. Too many, too many things to actually try and bring up proper references. This is not an isolated incident, ironically enough, because there, I don't know what the proper, outside of sexism, I don't know what the proper way to go about talking about this is because 
it's it's wild to think that fundamentally people are really threatened mm-hmm. by another individual's existence outside of their own. Right. And the irony is it's it's not even about them. Right. So that's one of the things that's like hard to to kind of talk about is that you know folks feel personally attacked or threatened but you know it's a ghostbusters reboot does not negate the fact that there are two other ghostbuster films that you can watch on repeat if you want exactly Um, just like the new star wars films do not negate the fact that there are old star wars films that you can watch ad nauseum if you want um it seems like, you know, folks uh, feel some sort of entitlement around how they perceive their story to be, and they don't want uh, they don't they don't want to change it, even though at the time that that story was created, there might have been critical thought that wasn't put into it right. around representation or around. Um, you know, who has power, who has voice. Um, you know, I think Star Wars is a great example. You know, the first Star Wars came out in 1977, um, meaning it was created in the 70s, right? And you can see it on the screen. You know, they're all great actors and great performances, particularly Harrison Ford, but it's all white people. Um, there's no representation of people of color. There's no representation of LGBTQ folks um the best you get is either blonde hair blue eyes luke brown hair blue eyes han or chewy who's a dog right like <laughs> um if it's not a white person then it's an alien right mm-hmm. and, and i think you know throughout the years as we've come to be better about representation folks have tried to put in a little more diversity a little more representation within something like Star Wars, and then you will get, for example, in the new trilogy, Finn, who's a black man, right? Or, um, you know, you'll get, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of LGBTQ representation in this last film, um, however minor, right? Um, and sometimes it feels like folks are trying to rebel against that for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why, right? Like, I mean, I know why, but I'm not sure why, right? So... Oh, it, it, it's, it's reminiscent of the whole James Bond right. thing that happened when they announced that Idris Elba was like one of the people who was running to be James Bond. And people were like, uh, well, he can't really be James Bond. And you're like, why? Right. He's a fictional character. And they're like, right. well, you know, he, he just can't. And you're like... He acts, he makes music, he, he's qualified for the position. Right. I don't see why he can. They're like, he, we, we just don't want a black guy being James Right, Bond. right. And you're like, oh, it's the black guy thing. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, why can't a woman be the lead in a Star Wars film? Right. Um, why can't a woman be James Bond? Right. I'm starting to ask the real questions now. They're, they're going to take us <laughs> off the air in a minute. Well, oh, and, and oh the God, thing they're inciting a riot. And the thing is, you know, I I feel like I can hear the conservative argument of like you're doing diversity for the sake of diversity, 
And really, what I want to say is that these stories live outside of authorial intent, right? I really don't care what, um, what's his face, Ian, Ian, whoever wrote James Bond, um, Ian Fleming. I really don't care what Ian Fleming cared about race, gender, sexuality, whether he cared about white men, he cared about women of color. I really don't give a ass, rat's ass about it. Because James Bond exists beyond just Ian Fleming, right? James Bond is a cultural touchstone that people can embrace and use to whatever means they need to use it. Same as Star Wars, same as Star Trek, same as comic books, superheroes, right? Um, you know, yeah, we do revere the original creators of these things, but at the end of the day, they should not be the end-all be-all of the work of art, right? And so if, if you want the art to remain relevant, you should be able to divorce it from whatever the cultural context at the time is, right? right. And you should be able to push it forward and say, you know, Star Wars for 19, 1977, great film. We're not in 1977 anymore, right? And so... If I want Star Wars to remain relevant, then maybe I do have to start thinking about what women of color look like, what LGBTQ folks look like, what, you know, what all these things look like in this universe that in 1977, the universe consisted of four people and they were all white, right? Uh, in the beginning. So, you know, I think, I think, you know, regardless of whether you actually are a social justice advocate, you have to admit that there is there is a power to keeping stories relevant. And you keep stories relevant by pushing them forward and not keeping them trapped in the past. Right. Right? So, like, you know, I, I'm never somebody who says that there shouldn't be new stories, you know? It's like, if you want to reboot something, go ahead and reboot it, you know? If you want to write a sequel, go ahead and write a sequel, you know? Um, and if you don't like it, just ignore the sequel. I mean, you know... The, yeah, you have an option. There are so many, I mean, the history of Hollywood, there's so many sequels that people made and then just pretended it didn't exist because it was terrible. Um, <laughs> Grease 2, for example, was terrible. Um, Hulk 2008 was terrible. Yeah, and people just pretend they don't exist. And you know what? Everybody does fine with their lives. Except for the person who made Hulk 2008, apparently, you know. We don't know what happened to that person. <laughs> Um, so that was Star Wars. <laughs> or, you know, the, or, you know, the abomination that was Last Airbender. Yo, oh, yeah, so that was I, terrible. I, I tortured myself the other day. This is not correlated to current events anyway, but since we're on the topic of terrible movies, I watched Dragon Ball Evolution. Oh, gosh. And I watched The Last Airbender. Oh, my gosh. And my roommate asked me, so which one would you rather watch again? Now, I'd rather watch neither of them again. Right. They were just not, they, they just didn't do it for me. But if I had, if I was like forced to sit down and watch a terrible movie, I'm watching Dragon Ball Evolution long before I'm watching Last Airbender again. Really? Like, I watched Last Airbender, and me and my roommate started joking with each other. The cartoon is based on the movie, and he's like, "But isn't the movie?" Listen, okay. These ideas were fresh in M Night Shyamalan's head, and he was like, "Oh my god, what if people?" Did, you know, martial arts moves 
and then produce forces. Or better yet, what if I confuse the hell out of my audience by convincing them that, you know, firebenders require a source of fire at first, and then somewhere throughout the movie, you see firebenders randomly firebending from their hands, and you're just like, yeah, so you just want to, like, fuck with everything, huh? I mean, my big problem with Last Airbender, I mean, I had a lot of big problems with Last Airbender, <laughs> but one of the really fast initial problems was they mispronounced people's names, which is like, you had a cartoon where everybody's names were already established. Mm-hmm. Why are you not using those pronunciations? You're now just being a troll. Copyright the hell of a drug. But nobody, nobody invalidated anyone's copyright. Nickelodeon funded that film. I mean, I listen, just, listen. Nickelodeon apparently pronounced names wrong. It, it just, His name is not Ang. It's Ang. I just didn't. I didn't understand that point. I was like, look, you have a really massively popular cartoon <laughs> in which everybody's name is verbally spoken. Just use that. Um, I thought they do that. It's too, it's too easy. It's too but, easy. Yeah, no, that was a terrible movie. That's also a, a nice back-to-back of uh, white people pretending to be Asian people. Oh, man. Yeah. Yo, like, they casted a white chick for the person who is clearly black. And you're like, I had no idea people can really, like, be this oblivious. Yeah, it's so like, funny. Here's a picture of Katara. Yeah. Here's the person we got to play her. And you're just like, so there were no no brown people you could have walked you up to and said. You couldn't find anyone, right. You couldn't find anyone. Anyone. It's, yeah. It, I mean, and then you have, you know, Dragon Ball where, you know, <laughs> Goku is white. <laughs> um, At least his career bound. No. Actually, no, yeah, no, the person yeah, who played Goku in that he's movie. Fine. He's fine. He's doing career. fine. He's doing fine. You know? Um, just like Dev Patel survived Last Airbender, he's doing fine. Um, it's just funny to see, you know. Mm-hmm. You're like, huh? Oh, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting uh, double feature to watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you chose to do that to yourself. Oh, we're gonna put a pin in that and come back to it. <laughs> we're not dealing with this conversation. Okay. Um. So impeachment. Yeah. So it's it's cool that everybody is celebrating the first step in this entire process, mm-hmm. but. There are, like, several other steps that people are not acknowledging. Mm-hmm. And that's that it now has to be voted on by the Senate. Mm-hmm. And Which then, is where it ends. Mm-hmm. If I'm... the Senate, you know, votes, he's removed. If the Senate, which everybody's predicting, will be 50-50 split down the middle, then it goes back to the House to be, you know... Well, he's not removed at that point. He's acquitted. I mean, one of the reasons I think people are taking their victories now is because they know it ends here. Um, Optimistically. Yeah. It, I mean, the man is calling a witch hunt. This is the worst, well, the I worst mean, thing that ever happened in American history. <laughs> I'm the best. And you're like, look, Nixon was impeached. Well, okay, so let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. People will still have rhetoric based off of this in the future. But as far as procedural trial goes, this is it. Like, Senate's never going to vote to get them out, right? Like, it's going to be acquittal. Mitch McConnell's basically said that outright, um, which is such a fucked up thing to do, to be 
Can you can you imagine? Can you imagine being a white male in America? Absolutely. <laughs> I do that shit in my sleep. I can like go to sleep and wake up and be like, <gasps> my male privilege is showing. I can rule the world. I mean, can you imagine being in a situation where you have a class and you have a professor who's giving a test and you don't even show up yet. You're not even there yet. And somebody goes, hey, you know, Aaron's coming to take this test. And the professor is like, Aaron, I'm flunking him already. Sounds like being black in the academy, but we're not going to have that conversation today either. I mean, that's basically what Mitch McConnell's done, right? He's like, oh, you're going to do a trial? Well, before you even do anything, I know it's a sham. Uh, he's he's, he's going to be acquitted. It's like, wait, uh, uh, what? Like, that's not that's not how this works, you know? Well, it's not how it should work. Not how it's supposed to, um, you know. Nothing I, in America works the way it's supposed to. I've also been very amused by the Republicans... In the impeachment hearings in the House, uh, talk about how uh, a Jesus had more due process. That is my favorite one. Like <laughs> I, I watched all of those, and dude was like, "Jesus, G- Jesus had more due process. Was had more due process than we're giving this man." Um, and we're all like, "Well, first off, Jesus had to drag the cross. He was hung on." He was whipped during the process. He was then nailed to it. Died. We're just saying the man who used his power. Get him out the yeah. office. Like, well, yeah. I also they. I mean, Democrats have been putting this case together for the about two and a half months now. I'm that, and that's about two months more than they really needed, right? Like, all you all you really need is a record of his tweets and be like, <laughs> is this man fit for presidency? No, right. Um, so that I feel like they've already got overboard with their due process, but like to pull in Jesus, to pull in Jesus and be like, I know homie was crucified on a cross, but Donald Trump has a worse. Like really, really? He's saying he has the worst. He he's gaslighting himself. Right. He's he's going on national television to say, nobody in American history has had it worse than me. There's a guy who's dead. Right. Whom we still debate to this day. Was there another shooter on the grassy knoll that day? Right. There's another guy who's dead. Right. Who was shot in a fucking theater. Right. Like, we've, but, ha- we've had four presidents who have either been assassinated or had att- assassination attempts. Um, we've had multiple presidents die in office. Um, we've, had, we've had presidents who were censored. We've had presidents who were... Um, banished, we've had presidents, and, uh, you know, and that's just the 44 people who've been president. That's not counting all of the other people in history, particularly in United States history, who Donald Trump seems to not know exist, right? Like, I believe he, he has compared himself to, um, the plight of black people. He's compared himself to... Um, people who uh, are on death row, right? He, I mean, the, the Jesus Christ thing was one of two examples, and I'm trying to remember what the exam- other example Republicans pulled out with their ass on the impeachment hearing to say that Donald Trump was uh, worse than, or had it worse than. Um, I can't quite remember what the other example was, but I'm pretty sure both of those examples, Jesus and the other person, ended up dead, like literally dead. Are you um, sure that's how that works? 
Pretty and, sure you know death is worse than impeachment. Right. And and like as bad as you may think that this is going, death is not on the table for the impeachment process. Nobody has written that if he fails impeachment, he'll be put to death. So I'm not entirely sure why there's a comparison between Donald Trump and Jesus Christ. Um, He's not even sure why there's a comparison between him and Jesus Christ. But you know what? While we're on that topic, <laughs> apparently Kanye West reproduced the book of Genesis and changed any mention of God to Kanye. And <laughs> Are you sure he commissioned that or was that just something he already had? That somebody found. Somebody is selling copies of that shit on Amazon right now. So I, I feel like I feel like if I were to have just broken into Kanye's house any time in the past fifteen years, there would have been a copy of that book on the bookshelf. <laughs> this is Kanye's book of Genesis. Yeah, it's just the book, the book of God, Word of God with Kanye inserted. The word, um, the word of yeah. I, I feel bad for whoever, whomever gets paid to make that audio book because. <laughs> Look, there are certain things people will admit they do not fuck with. And, you know, altering religious text outside of what they've already been altered is one of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure why everybody all of a sudden feels like they need to be associating with Christian gods all of a sudden. Just oh. like between Kanye and Donald Trump, there's like this push <laughs> to be like, I'm holy. No, I'm holy. It's like... How about y'all just do your shit and not bring God into it? I figured it out. It's because the Republicans, the Republicans you see, they think they are Christianity. When you become Republican, you become Christian. And that is direct descendants of a Republican. You are now directly connected straight to heaven. Except... And as a result of being directly connected straight to heaven, your conservative views... You're disregarding other people's existences are canon. Except that's not really how Christianity works. Oh, you can't tell people that. I mean, I if you go to a baptism, <laughs> they don't start with, so you voting Democrat or Republican? <laughs> um, you got the door prepared to let them know, yeah, I'm, you know, you know, I'm going to go ahead and vote how I vote. That's not how this works. You walk to the church, you are now... Oh, you better be Republican. I, I, I think, you know, somewhere along the way, we really kind of lost the ball on that one. Um, I mean, the parties switch labels and values over time. The two-party system is redundant because there are so many different various views in America that they need to be represented properly. But, you know, America. Yeah. The one place where, you know, change... It's supposed to be the the norm, but yet when you start to enact any type of social change, people get up in arms about it. Right. Well, even it's, it doesn't right. even affect them per se, you know, tangibly. Like right. allowing somebody to have their own pronouns and identify the way that they want does not affect other people. Not like, even a little bit. It does not kill you to call somebody they. Right. Not okay. even a little bit. If somebody wants to identify as a chair, especially you're interacting them for five minutes, just hi. This is Christian. He prefers to be called the chair. Boom. Yeah, and 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 to be fair too, like, like, you know, oftentimes you know, we'll we'll uh, this stuff will be be very much misunderstood by cisgender folks. Um, I I remember one time in which we had to have a conversation about how 
gender pronouns was not the same as nicknames. Um, and that, because people were starting to get into this habit of like, my pronouns are dude or bro or homie. And it's like, no, those aren't pronouns. Like, let's, let's, let's reset. Um, let's go back to school. But, you know. Second and third person. But going, going back, going back to the point of that though, is that, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't harm. It doesn't cause you any harm to have somebody else live their life the way that they're living their life. Um, and to pretend that somehow it causes systemic harm to have individuals live their life in the way that they want to live their life um, really is, uh, shines a light on how fragile our understanding of society becomes um, and how fragile things like morality, ethics, Christianity, well, not just Christianity, but religion in general, um, become. And the fact that, you know, you have to attribute some sort of moral right to that is, uh, it, it really, it's like a house of cards, right? And like, as you start poking away at it, it, it all collapses on itself. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's real difficult to to uh, kind of think about how um, we have a system set up where uh, no matter what sort of reform you may try to do, the system itself fights back, mm-hmm. right? And like, you know, when you're talking about the two-party system and how, you know, we have these giant parties in the United States and Democrats and Republicans and they don't actually represent true progressiveness or true conservatism. They're actually just systems of inequity. Um, it reminds me of what's going on with British politics right now, UK politics and the mess that is Brexit. Um, We're leave the union. Yeah, and the last election. I mean, they just had an election a couple of weeks ago. Um, in which they had an overwhelming conservative majority. Um, even places that have historically gone labor voted conservative this past election. Um, it would be as if in the United States, California all of a sudden flipped to Republican, right? Like that's the shock value that we're talking about. Um, and, you know, in the British in the UK electoral system, they have multiple parties, not just two. They have like five or six. And they have their traditional Tories, their traditional Labour, but they also have a Green Party. They have, they had a UKIP party, which got absorbed by the Conservatives. They had, um, they have uh, Lib Dems. They have various other, other parties. Um, and that actually was one of the problems this past election was that the conservative party was able to rally around the single message of Brexit and that they were able to rally around this idea of no matter what it is about conservatism we agree or disagree about, we can all mutually agree that we want Brexit to happen right now. And meanwhile, on the labor side... They had an extraordinarily unpopular candidate in Jeremy Corbyn, 
who was a very divisive figure, who, while espoused progressive views per se, also was very uh, not likable, had very, you know, uh, problematic policies around other things, was somebody who, um, you know, wasn't a negotiator, wasn't a statesman, wasn't a diplomat, very crass. Um, and it, it divided the party because they didn't have a single message because there are people who don't want to leave the, the don't want to leave the EU but don't can't agree on the best way to stay there are people who want to leave the EU they just don't want to leave it the way that the conservatives have said there are people who could care less about the EU one way or another but are progressive for other reasons and without a unifying message they completely shattered their base and a lot of places that normally would vote Labour voted Conservative because they didn't see anything in the Labour Party that they could rally behind. And I think on some level we're watching that happen in our current United States election as well. I know that I personally, even though I didn't, I, I, I don't know if I would have put 100% of my support behind Kamala Harris. I really liked Kamala Harris as a candidate. Um, I know that she had some issues when she was the Attorney General in California, but I liked her policies, I liked her rhetoric, and she was the last woman of color in the race. And when she dropped out, I remember thinking, oh, I don't know who I really support in this election. Um, I guess ostensibly I support Elizabeth Warren, but there are things I disagree with her about as well. And it's really just a party of candidates who don't excite me as a voter and i know that i'm a diehard democrat and that i'm a diehard get the fuck away from the presidency to trump so like i will vote for anybody that they put on the ticket that's not trump um and yet part of me is just not excited by the offerings you know and thinking like we're gonna we're gonna lose the message here you know like we 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 started 2018 with a rallying point of get rid of Trump. And we're at 2019 going into 2020 now, and we've lost the ball. Um, and I don't know what we're working on right now. Uh, if I had the answer to that, I'd be rich. <laughs> um, big, small. I think one of the best ways somebody ever explained this to me is that you can attract more people with struggle than you will with, you know, having them have to be ready to do some sort of work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that despite the differences that all the candidates have, policy-wise, rhetoric-wise, and everything else, I think that one of the, the things that tends to be divisive amongst people is the fact that um, they're they're not self-aware enough to figure out what it is they actually need mm -hmm. and how to get, you know, constituents to, you know, actually, you know, back them. Like, uh, Senator Sanders, you know, he's been down for the cause for a while now. Mm -hmm. But he's also, you know, old and part of you is trying to like, you know, I would love to see what kind of policy he tries to enact, but at the same time, 
you know, is he really going to put forth the notions that will help us all? Or, you know, when it comes to trying to be bipartisan or whatever, bipartisan is such a weird word. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why, why, why can't you just say, hey, I'm for the good of everybody? Why I got And that rhetoric by itself is kind of dangerous at the same time, too. But, um,. It's a weird, it's a weird position to be in because mm. we're trying, we're all trying to figure out, you know, one, what's best for the nation, but people for the most part don't even know what's best for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, what is, what is best for you, right? And then once you figure out what's best for you, you know, what is the best for your community that you know you inhabit? You know, what 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 do you look around and see that is needed? And if you look around and your first thought is, oh, you know, I need a Starbucks because I got to drive 10 minutes to go to a Starbucks, then you're not looking at your community the right way. Right. I mean, like, if you look around and go, oh, you know, um, there's no park here. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, you know, we need to figure out how to get the city to invest in our neighborhoods. And you go, okay, I want a candidate who's going to look at what's lacking mm-hmm. in certain areas and be like, you know what? Let's invest in, you know, getting these things done properly. Right. You know. Well, I, I think that's a there's a consequence of a capitalistic system there, right? Like, mm-hmm. when we're in the midst of this extreme capitalism, we're constantly approaching things from the perspective of how do you raise the ceiling when we should be talking about how you raise the floor, right? Like, you need to be in areas where you can raise the floor of the neighborhood, Instead of always trying to raise the ceiling, mm-hmm. so otherwise, I mean, that's the that's one of the things that we see here in the Bay Area all the time, is that we let certain parts of the cities go to to shit, while other parts of cities are building, you know, whatever p- things that people can't even afford, you know, coffee shops, artisan coffee shops selling sixteen dollar lattes, and you're like, I mean, fine, you know, you want a good cup of coffee, you want a good cup of coffee, go for it, but. You know, two miles down that way was, you know, there's an empty Sears, right? That you can do something with that building and that land, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to reinvest in your neighborhood, you need to fix that before you fix this, right? So, yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. But the, 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 the danger in a lot of this is, you know, uh, that Barry tells me all the time that reading is fundamental. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what it ultimately kind of boils down to. People don't want information mm-hmm. they want decisions made for them they want them made and what they believe might be their best interest right. it's like okay like i was talking to um the chief diversity officer the other day about diversity hire <coughs> not diversity hires mm-hmm. and there was a california law put in place i believe it's um proposition 209 mm-hmm. i want to say somebody's gonna fact check me on this Um, but so it's a law that states that you can't hire somebody based on you know gender ethnicity so on and so forth so while we're all preaching that the academic system needs more diversity there's a law in California that kind of prevents you from target hiring people based on these things Mm. so it's like Prop 209 yeah so it's like well that came as a as an offshoot of the civil rights era. Right. But it hasn't, and this is the, the argument I have with uh, communities of color all the time. 
It's like I loved, I I I loved the civil rights period. You know, I mm-hmm. loved those people fought for. But when we look back at it, equality was not something we all ever wanted. Mm-hmm. We wanted equity. Mm-hmm. We wanted access to resources. Right. And when you start to read the language of the things put in place afterwards, you know, they're they're using this model where, oh, you know, we're going to look at people and we're all going to assume that we're all on the same playing field. And if you look at everyday life, nobody's on the same playing field. Everybody has a bunch of different needs that needs to be met. Like, I live, my family lives six hours away from here. So in order for me to go see my family... It's either I pay, you know, $200 for a plane ticket or I drive six hours. Right. But due to my academic schedule, I can only do that maybe once every two or three months. Right. So it's like, oh, you know, let's just assume that I everybody has that same schedule. Right. Right? But everybody doesn't have that same distance to try and cover. Right. You know, somebody who lives in Sacramento only drives an hour and a half. Right. They can do that relatively easily. You know, it won't cost them as much. Right. So even though, you know, they're super busy, it's like, oh, you, know, you can take your work, go an hour and a half, spend time with your family working. Right. That's why the model for equality doesn't work. Right. It's not like when you think of the, the, the people trying to look over the fence to watch fireworks show, and you have the super short kid, and you have the middle-sized kid, and you have the tall dude, and so you give them all boxes, and you're like, well, I gave them all equal-sized boxes, and it's like, well, if the short person is 4'2", Right. You're gonna give them something so they can see over the fence. Right. Your goal is to see over the fence. Right. Like everybody wants to see over the fence. It's how you allow them to see over the fence that matters the most. And I mean, for me, that's that's why I really love to read about and to educate folks and to learn about the Black Panther Party in Oakland, because. To me, Black Panther Party, while they were at their most active before uh, COINTELPRO took them down, um, they were addressing equity, not equality, right? So you had folks like Stokely Carmichael and and Huey Newton, um, Angela Davis, Davis, um, who, who said... We don't want what white people want. We just want our community to get what they need. So they put their time and effort not in trying to get black folks into white spaces. They put their time and effort trying to get black folks to areas in which they could get resources. So they were building community centers. They were building schools. They were building cafeterias. They were building, you know things that would improve the infrastructure of their living community instead of looking outward and saying, oh, there's a white space, we need a black person there. There's a white space, we need a black person there. Um, because I think one of the things that, that you know, when we talk about Prop 209 or affirmative action or, or these kinds of ideologies, those, those are... Uh, Prop 209 is the system pushing back against an attempt to try to address a systemic inequity, right? But they're pushing back in the way that they understand to push back, which is, I think you're trying to put a person of color in my space, so I'm going to push back by saying you're not allowed to do that. 
Um, but even that action in of itself was not necessarily the action that needed to be taken. Um, and that I think, you know, the more that we're able to talk about these things that truly were able to lead to even brief periods of reform and renovation, right? When we were able to talk about Blue Black Panther Party or whatever, we were able to talk about Black Wall Street. These are, these are examples of trying to address inequity in a way that the system can't necessarily fight back against, except through violence, right? I mean, obviously, you know, if you just want to drop a bomb on a city, you'll get rid of whatever is being built there. But Prop 209 or other things like it are non-violent ways in which the system pushes back, right? And so I think we need to start looking in the past at these examples in which we can capitalize on addressing inequity instead of trying to just get folks of color into white spaces. I mean, that in of itself is important too. I don't want to neglect the work that's being done around that. But at the same time, you know, that's easy to defeat. It's, it's important, but it's dangerous at the same time. Yeah. Because although you get these folks of color into these white spaces, they're often being forced to sacrifice some component of that color. Right. Like, in order for you to infiltrate, <laughs> in order for you to get into these white spaces, you have to give up something that makes you who you are. Right. And then, even being in these white spaces, you have to figure out how to, you know, anchor yourself in your culture, but not, you know, feel threatened because somebody is going to use their, their lack of cultural competence to, you know, make you feel threatened in this space. Like, you know, it's like that person who always who always microwaves, you know, that, that smelly fish. And, and, and yeah, yeah, you, you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that, that's essentially what, what it is. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we all know the fish smells. But if that person originates from an area where fish is most of their diet, then that is what they're going to eat because right. that's that's their culture. Right. And the, and the thing about that example, just going a step further, is one of the reasons why this stuff is so effective is because there's a surface level, uncritical argument that can be made that really like folks latch onto, like folks with unexamined biases and privileges latch onto, right? So what, the reason why Prop 209 passed and is something that people still hold on to even to this day is because you can very plainly say, well, no, race shouldn't come into the equation when you're hiring someone. Everybody should get an equal shot. And that's a very uncritical, unrealized, unexamined perspective that's real easy surface level, you know, whatever, right? Just like with the fish example, like... Oh, of course fish smells bad. You don't want anything smelling bad in a common space. There's, again, a real easy, uncritical, unexamined thing that people can very easily latch onto if they haven't really taken time to understand their own biases or understand their own privileges. Um, or understand, similarly, systemic inequity, right? Like, I don't really necessarily need you to understand your white privilege more so than I need you to understand why systemic inequity exists, right? And, but regardless... Um, and that's the thing that the system does really well is craft these surface level, unbi uh, un uncriticized, unexamined, easy narratives 
that then they throw into the world and then they turn around and point and say, well, 40% of the people believe in this. It's like, well, yeah, because those 40% of the people have never taken an ethics studies course, have never been asked to do anything around learning about the history of black folks besides whatever gets presented to them in Black History Month when they're in fourth grade, you know, or, you know, the history of immigration in the United States beyond whatever's presented to them in eighth grade civics, right? Like, those people, it's very easy to latch onto these narratives because that's what you're good at is creating these narratives and then you just throw them into the world, you know? And, and of course we all want to be safe. Of course we all want to be successful. Of course we all want to live in a world that doesn't, smell bad or look bad or sound bad um but then to tie that into well that's where race gender sexuality national status uh impacts that it's like no like that's that's not you know you're you're now comparing apples and oranges you know and and you know i think that's that's part of the problem is that you know we we need to have stuff like for example this podcast where we can go a level deeper and say hey that's not the easy narrative, right? Like, I mean, that is the easy narrative. That's the easy narrative. It's not the real narrative, right? It's not the critical narrative. And so we can go one step below that and say, well, what what are we ignoring by keeping the easy narrative the one that everybody talks about? Hell, we even go deeper with the example I gave earlier. Like, I, I have the privilege of being able to drive six hours. There are people here foreign exchange you can't fly back to their home country right. during winter break or for Thanksgiving so they stay here right I mean like I think one of the best ways I've ever had this explained to me was fair doesn't always mean equal mm-hmm. and so we want things to be fair right but just because things seem fair doesn't mean that things are equal right and unfortunately we don't live in a meritocracy right uh, that means we don't live in a, a society where people are actually rewarded for their merit so the right. things they work for, the things that they work on, so on and so forth. If we well, didn't, we'd be, we'd be having an entirely different conversation. You know right. what I mean? Like, the whole concept of a GPA and our education system and just the things that we, we take part in without actually being critical. Well, people have been critical of education for a while. Let me not get that. Let me not. But it goes beyond that, there. too, right? We also have this narrative around, like, the harder you work, the more money you'll make. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the, the harder you work, the more you'll get ahead, right? Or... You know, that kind of stuff. Keep your head down, you'll be able to buy a house or whatever. It's like, those are also meritocracy myths. It's, it's, just, it's just super unfortunate. We weren't supposed to be getting this deep. <laughs> we were supposed to be shooting the shit today. Well, but, you, know, um, you can't shoot the shit without getting... getting <laughs> some, well, okay. And the other thing, too, is that, like, we also have to remember that just because something is the law or the policy does not mean that that is what gets followed. Right. In, for example, for, for our foreign exchange students or for folks who are international students, they are legally fine because they have student visas and have J, J visas and permits in order to study here in the United States. That doesn't mean they're not going to be stopped at the border. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be harassed. And that doesn't mean that they might not be denied entrance, right? And then that follows to a protracted legal battle which drains you over resources, which people mm-hmm. aren't necessarily prepared to be able to do, right? So just because something's technically legal or technically allowed does not mean that that's the lived experience of that person. Right, 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 right. And that's the, 
think that's a trash part about a lot of the, a lot of things. We we stay so surface when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Like, um, I had this conversation with somebody one day, and they were like, "So, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you have any like trauma that you like to talk about and things like that?" And I'm like, "I have trauma, but I'm not defined by those things. Like, I can tell you stories from my childhood, but what, what that? Oh, you know, I'm just." Oh, I'm just looking for something that's kind of relatable, and it's like if somebody hurting is relatable to you, then you may want to figure out, you know, what it is that you're really trying to relate to. Like mm-hmm. ultimately, I think in order to go deeper, we used to have more meaningful conversations. Part of you has to be willing to, you know put yourself in a position where things aren't wholeheartedly about you, but you realize that you are just a cog somewhere. Mm-hmm. And how do you make this more optimal? Mm-hmm. Some people say, you know, you just trim away the fat. Why don't you understand how the fat got there? Mm-hmm. I mean, without reference, you know, people cope the way that they do, you know. Mm-hmm. People will gain weight from drinking alcohol. People will gain weight from eating food. You know, mm-hmm. the, fat, the fat isn't just, you know there to be there you, mm-hmm. know, you can actually look into it and be like hey you know how how is you here you know would, would it, is it a coping thing right. well you know now we can try and support healthier coping mechanisms like right. you can you can dive deeper you just have to be willing to dive deeper right but since the new year is what 11 days yeah. some change away um looking back on this year is there anything you look forward to trying to change for next year yeah, um, I mean, 2019 was a bit of a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm, piece of shit. Um, I don't know if 2020 is going to be any better. It'll probably be worse in a lot of ways because it's an election year. Um, but I do think that if I am at my best, if I'm trying to be uh, optimistic, there are probably lessons that I can learn from 2019 that will make 2020 bearable. Um, and I think for me, one of those lessons is trying to figure out how to have the conversations around making sure, like you said, about, about processing trauma and about coping and about making sure that we do have space and time and room to process trauma because oftentimes, I mean, the trauma that we go through as just living in the world is, is not often acknowledged. You know, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, not always acknowledged as trauma. Um, and yet, there's so much of our professional lives, whether we're talking about school, whether we're talking about work, whether we're talking about colleagues, groups that we're in, you know, whatever, that demands a level of authenticity. And what we don't acknowledge or rarely acknowledge is that authenticity very often is rooted in trauma. That in order for me to be authentic, I have to in order for me to be authentic, I have to open up my trauma and show you these are the ways in which I've been hurt and I've coped. Um, and which just opens the wound repeatedly. I think that, um, speaking of open wounds, <laughs> um, 
one of the things I definitely advise people not to do is to open the wound and then play in it. Like, mm-hmm. don't don't open yourself up and then, like, stick your finger mm-hmm. to see, you know, what's going on in there. Like, you have certain wounds that need to be unpacked. Um, there are healing circles you can find. There, there are, you know, clinicians, counselors, mm-hmm. therapists, psychiatrists. Absolutely. Um, a whole bunch of other things. And I think going into next year, one of the lessons I learned this year and tank i didn't really learn it because obviously i'm still doing this shit anyway but um it's about you know minding your business and picking and choosing your, the you know the proper battles to fight sometimes mm-hmm. and ultimately uh i think i'm gonna start to adopt a, pol- a policy that my um the the professor who actually got me to go to therapy used she's like you can listen to people but you don't have to take on their problems mm-hmm. And that is one of the things I am, like, great for. Because I will listen to somebody and be like, oh, I know how to fix this. And it's like, that, if they're not asking you for help mm. or anything like that. It's not a burden. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's it's difficult, yes. And as much as I want to be like everybody else and blame them, I have, like, a big heart or something like that. That's that's not the reason why. There There's another deep-rooted mm. motive for that, but... You know, that's something we can address some other time. <laughs> but yeah, I think going into next year, especially since I'm going to be going to grad school soon mm-hmm. and trying to figure out, you know, what changes I can make, not only to my scholarship and my research, but to myself to be successful. Because um, I realized this semester that who I am now is not going to survive in grad school. Right. Like, I have terrible habits when it comes to. <laughs> To my work, you know, I don't necessarily wait till the last minute, but if I don't keep the same energy that I started the semester with, then it's easy for me to fall back into my old habits, and that's mm-hmm. that's the worst part about it. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's trying to figure out the energy that I have and where to, you know, put it at, where to store it, and when to use it. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have to be gun ho about everything, but you you do have to be willing to, you know do the work you want to do justice mm-hmm. because it's not there's no right or wrong way to do the work me and you do mm-hmm. I mean whether that's a social justice activi- activist whether that's you know uh, doing research mm-hmm. or you know there there is no right way to do those things mm-hmm. in fact um, the person who taught me how to do research often reminds me that you have to put yourself in the research mm-hmm. like, if you're not willing to you know examine something and examine what about you is really interested in that then you're gonna waste your time doing doing that research and mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the bummer there it's you know time is finite mm-hmm. we don't know how much how, how much we got but mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's finite so mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely i agree with you and i think particularly as you move into grad school learning what you can hold and learning what you shouldn't hold is going to be even more critical because your time gets way shorter and way more impacted. Yeah. Yeah, I'm constantly being reminded by everybody around me that, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, you got to start now, Aaron. You can't use your winter breaks like you used to. But, like, yes, you get to relax, but you got to, like, you got to get in the habit of writing all the time, reading. Like, you have to, you, you have to, you know, put the, the most effort into what you want to accomplish. Well, and I would say this too. 
whatever coping mechanisms you have developed up until this point to get you through the reading and writing will probably be fine in grad school. The thing that you really have to be careful about is investing time and energy in things that don't really need you to do that, right? So, like, I know a lot of people who are scared of, like, advanced degrees or grad school or whatever because they think to themselves, well, I was a terrible student as an undergrad. I couldn't study. I couldn't read well. I couldn't write well. It took me so long to write a paper. It took me so long to read an article. Um, but at the same time, you got through it, right? And whatever tools you've developed to cope around how to write a paper or how to read an article will probably be fine for what you need in grad school. What you really need to clear time out for is all the other stuff of like, oh, I was, you know, doing 15 different things at the same time and, you know, I had a paper to write but then I had to help a friend with a thing and then I had this other commitment for a club and yada, yada, yada. Those are the things you're going to have to learn to let go. Time is valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, learn how to manage that shit. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's a good note to end this on. Okay. Okay. Well, happy holidays, Aaron. Happy holidays, Chris. Yeah. Happy holidays to you all, too. Happy holidays. And we'll see you next year. We'll see you in 2020.